0: grab your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at one verse today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible down the center aisle of seats, there is a Bible there. Ecclesiastes is going to be towards the middle of your Bible, and it's going to be to the right of Proverbs, around 300 and something if you're using the uh, the Pew Bible. And if you've got your own Bible, you're going to have to look at the table of contents if it's been a while since you've been in Ecclesiastes. One verse, Ecclesiastes 10.10. Uh, it's that time of year again. Uh, we are two days away from the launch into another year. And what do we typically do? Almost like the video suggested. We, uh, sometimes we uh, pause, we reflect, we look back to think of how, how our year went, and then we might project forward by thinking about things that we want to uh, do better, do less, stop doing, or perhaps just edit how we're doing it. And uh, a lot of us call that uh, resolutions. Uh, some of you uh, don't like that word. Some of you rather would say, uh, "I make goals." That's what I usually do. Uh, many of you might just be intentional about some of the things that that you do. But in, in however you call it, whatever you, uh, however you might uh, say what you do, what we do is we reflect on the on what we've done and what we might want to do better in the coming year. And we're going to uh, jumpstart that process for all of us by looking at an exhortation in Ecclesiastes, and really just one verse. Ecclesiastes 10.10, and so we'll read this verse out loud together. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.10, read with me. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the the end of 2018. Uh, Again, you've given us a a great year, and as we sang this morning, uh, all glory to you just for life. Just for getting us through, waking us up every morning, providing for us, sustaining us, and uh, and the work that you do, Lord, in the world to uh, to make this place habitable for us. We take that t- we take that stuff uh, for granted a lot of the times. Uh, so today we we thank you for it, uh, Lord. We thank you for the gathering of your church, not just us, but your church at large uh, throughout our community, throughout our country, throughout the world, people like us are gathering, uh, sitting themselves uh, with song and liturgy and your words that you've given to us to uh, encourage ourselves, to uh, exhort ourselves in regards to life in you, and and more importantly, to, to be changed by you. So God, we, we come under that, that guise this morning. Would you uh, open our ears to hear what you have to say for us as we reflect back and project forward into a new year, and uh, as as Solomon will say to us in Ecclesiastes, Lord, we seek wisdom and pray that in, his, in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. amen, amen. So there's something interesting about men and axes, right? Men and axes, there's an old story about a, a group of professional lumberjacks and the story centers around a young greenhorn that gets a new job and he goes and he's working with a bunch of men of various ages, that uh, are really professionals at cutting wood. They're lumberjacks. And this young man, is uh, he's determined to make a good impression on his very first day. And so he goes up to all of the men who've been working there for some time, and he gives them a challenge. He says, hey, well, how about we, we have a, a contest to see who can chop the most wood in one day? And so uh, these guys are up for the challenge, and so they're, they're off. They, uh, they're all individually chopping wood. And of course, this this new guy is younger. And because he's younger, he's a little stronger. He's more energetic. And he just knows that he is going to chop the most wood. And so they're chopping, they're chopping, they're chopping. And very early off, it seems like this young guy is going to get the best of of all these old has-beens. I mean, his wood is just like, I mean, he's just going for it. And then he looks over, and he sees that the, the older guys are taking breaks. In fact, every hour or so, they're like taking break, like t- five or ten minutes at a time. He's not going to take a break at all because he doesn't want to jeopardize winning the challenge and, again, making a good first impression. So fast forward, the, the day is over, and lo and behold, this young guy with all this strength and all this energy, guess what? He does not win the challenge. In fact he woefully falls short. In fact, he he hasn't even chopped close to half the wood that all the other lumberjacks have, have chopped. And he goes over to one of the older men, and he says, how can this be? How is it that me, who's, I mean, I'm, I'm stronger. I, I didn't take a break. You guys were, like, breaking all day long. How is it that I didn't, that you chopped more wood than I did. And the old old one of the old lumberjacks walks up to the guy, and he says, well, basically, uh, what you don't understand is we weren't taking breaks, we were sharpening our axes. While you were chopping away uh, the, the whole day, cutting all that wood, you didn't take time to sharpen your axe. And that can be our problem as well. Too many of us tend to work with blunt axes, and that brings us to our text today. Uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes, and this is a great book to read and study. I have uh, friends of mine that, that will spend time in Ecclesiastes almost every year. I have pastor friends that will preach through this book at least once a year because of uh, the wisdom that you get out of it. This is, of course, written by Solomon, who we learn in Scripture is one of the wisest men uh, that's ever lived and Solomon is writing uh, as a preacher. He calls himself a preacher. He's writing not just at the end of a year, reflecting on how that year went. He's writing at the end of his life, and he's thinking about all the things that he's learned, all the things that his wisdom has afforded him, and yet the way that he's lived his life, and he's giving us some lessons from that. The overarching theme in the particular section that we're in, starting right around chapter nine and going through the end of the book, is uh, is this comparison between wisdom and folly. And he spends actually a lot of, a lot of time on this idea following. The preacher basically says there are two ways to live life. You can live the uh, life in the way of the wise or you can live life in the way of the fool. Which one do you think is the better way to live? The preacher's challenge is that it's important for us to know the difference and I think uh, as you're thinking about that wisdom and folly, most of us can tell the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. I think the problem for most of us is that most of our choices don't fall within that, that room of, of good or evil or even right and wrong. Most of our choices that we have to make fall between this really close fine line of wisdom and folly. And so I want to explain those two terms for you as we launch into this one verse this morning. So what does wisdom mean? Wisdom is the skill of living life. Notice that word skill. Skill means that I can actually learn to be wise. And the Bible, of course, commends itself as one of those ways that we learn to to live a, a wise life. Wisdom is the ability to see things as they are and make the right decisions. Folly, on the other hand, is you knowing what to do, but not doing it. A lot of times we think a fool is someone with below average intelligence. A fool, uh, and sometimes we think the fool is the village idiot, right? That's not necessarily what the Bible says a fool is. Folly doesn't necessarily show up on the, the low end of the IQ scale. Here's what a fool is. A fool is someone who lacks the proper fear of God and therefore is prone to go the wrong direction in life. The psalmist says in Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so listen to what Solomon says throughout this, this, this book of the Bible in regards to who the fool is and what the fool does. He says, firstly, the fool is lazy, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse five. He says the fool is ill-tempered, chapter seven, verse nine. He says the fool is morally blind, chapter two, verse 14. He says the fool refuses to take advice, chapter 9, verse 17. He says the fool's life may not be pleasing to God, chapter 5, verse 4. And as we fast forward in chapter 10, the same chapter that we're going to be looking at today, uh, the preacher asks that the fool is directionally challenged. He says a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart inclines him to the left. And what's he mean here? He's not saying that the, the fool is... Uh, conservative versus republic, uh, versus liberal. He's not saying he's a Republican versus a Democrat. He says the, uh, the, the man is going in the wrong direction in life. and, and the Bible connotes going the right direction in the, the right direction in life as going to the right. I guess there were no left-handed people in the, in the Bible. I'm not picking on left-handed people. But here's what Solomon is leading to. He says, folly can be to our detriment, folly can be to our destruction, but there is a wiser and oftentimes safer way to live. And so when we get to verse 10, what he's conveying is almost like the the, the lumberjack here. It takes more strength to swing an axe when the blade is dull. And so you cut something in two and you're cutting and you're cutting and you're cutting. You're just hacking away and this can replicate what our lives are look like. Yeah, this is exactly the same way that many of us go through life. Chances are, at least a few of you grew up cutting wood, right? Anybody in the, in the room grew up like chopping wood? All right, so we didn't have a fireplace in my house. I live in North Carolina. It doesn't get too cold in North Carolina. Uh, but I remember the day when my dad decided to install a fireplace in our living room. Like, boom, there it is. And what do you do when you get a fireplace? You got to go out and get some wood, all right? So he didn't cut down any of the trees that were locally in our yard. We didn't have that many trees in our yard, but he did um, You know, hire a guy to bring some, some wood into the house. And that wood, in turn, had to be cut up a little bit more. And so what did my dad do? Well, he had two boys. So <laughs> my dad got so he had, he had to bought the wood. It was like right there in the driveway. And then he got two axes for his two boys. He showed us a little technique, all right. And then he said, all right, so I got to go to work and I need you all to start uh, cutting up this wood. And so my brother and I, uh, young, I mean, basically barely teenagers, uh, spent half a day just trying to figure out how to use an axe to, to cut wood. And of, of course, over time, we learned. But more than just splitting wood, of course, the tool that you use is important. What Solomon's trying to, to help us understand here is that this idea of of um, sharpening your axe is a metaphor for life. So like the the young lumberjack at the beginning of my opening story, many of us keep chopping away uh, ever so uh, diligently um, without sharpening our axes. And when we do that, uh, we are going to become dull. Really, every aspect of our life can become dull. And uh, our iron is blunt. And I think uh, Solomon is really trying to tell us three things, at least three things within our text that can help us as we go into the new year. The first thing is we can become dull. You can become dull. Look at verse 10. If the iron is blunt, someone said the most dangerous knife in the drawer is not always the sharpest. It can actually be the dullest. Said more directly, we can become dull, and that dullness can apply to every area of of our lives: education, relationships, work, ministry, and that's a lot. There's lots of reasons why our lives can become dull. Let me su- suggest just three. Firstly, we get bored with whatever we're doing. You can get bored with your responsibilities, whatever those res- responsibilities might be. You can get bored with your task. You can get bored with your very life. And so, imagine this. A guy, a guy or gal uh, is sleeping, wake up in the morning, alarm clock goes off, you reach over, hit that alarm clock, not even hitting the smooth deuce button. button, what do you do? You get up, go take a shower, you get your clothes ready, you go downstairs, you get some coffee, you kiss your spouse goodbye, you pat your kids on the head, tell them you love them, and what do you do? You go to work, you work a full day, and you come back home, you do whatever you do at night, and guess what? You get back up and you do that same thing all over again we get bored a second reason why we become dull is we lose our passion or we lose our why the very reason why we're doing whatever we're doing and this can become common even with us in the church world we have the same rhythms the same tasks, and we can get in a rut and forget why we're doing the very things that we're doing and a third way that we can become dull is we get distracted or we can get just too busy now this is my hang up here um, so busy that we don't have time to take 10 minutes to think about those areas in our life that have become dull and then sharpen them like you would sharpen an ax, which is to say we begin the slippery slope. And we've all been there. And you say to yourself, man, I just don't have time to stop, to do anything. Never, uh, nevertheless, analyze what's going on. I got to keep chopping. I just got to keep chopping. And so when the Bible uses images like this, What Solomon, the wise man, is inviting us to do is to actually slow down and to understand them, to puzzle over them like riddles instead of skimming over uh, these words like a story. And and so in this analogy, iron represents more than just an ax. It's a product of our daily work and of our service. Think of it this way. Iron is used in almost every way in our culture today. Really, around the world, iron is one of the the most useful metals that there is. It's one of the cheapest metals. Uh, It's used in everything, from structure to automobiles, tools, machinery. Half the things inside your house and outside your house have some element of iron in them. It's literally everywhere. That is to say... Every aspect of your life can suffer dullness, if the, if the metaphor is right, if, iron, if this idea of iron is representing all ideas of our life. And I think the truth is, many of us struggle to live a fruitful and satisfying life. It escapes us. And in reality, for too many of us, we exert ourselves uh, so much so that um, we aren't happy with what we're doing. We aren't fulfilled at home. We live day to day, week to week. We look for a thrill here and there. But really, we're working and working and working uh, to get nowhere. And we don't realize that the problem with many of us is that our lives have become blunt. We actually are living uh, life with blunt axis. So Solomon says, some of us have become dull. Here's the second thing our text says. If you're dull, you need sharpening. Look at verse 10 again. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. Most of us grew up in environments where we're told to work, work hard, right? Uh, so I grew up uh, with two parents that worked. My mom worked, my dad worked. My dad actually worked two jobs. Um, and so whether I wanted to or not, I grew up with, uh, with this work ethic put on me that you got to work hard. In fact, my dad's mantra is, if you don't work, you don't eat, all right? So, uh, I mean, I, I, I live with that. I live with that even to today. And one of my pet peeves is laziness. My dad did I mean if he came home and I was doing nothing, then I mean that was a sign that he was going to fuss at me, right? Uh and so I find myself even with my family today, uh, if they're just like hanging out, um it's in me to just like, "All right, what are you doing?" Uh short story. So, we were a homeschooling family before we moved to North Carolina and uh and I would come home and my family had, you know, at the end of my military day and uh The kids would be doing whatever they would be doing, and uh, I would come in, and Larissa, my wife, would say, uh, I would just start barking, like barking orders, like, do this, do this, start cleaning up stuff. And she would say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I I said, well, I'm just trying to help out, because it seems like y'all haven't been doing anything. She's like, well, have you been here all day? Like, you got your thing to do, but we got our thing to do. And so if you can't come home and be more productive or even be more loving, why don't you just, like, not say anything until... Uh, until you can get your act together. and So uh, my wife put me on a timeout. <laughs> so my, my rule when I came home for many years, it was, all right, you can kiss us and hug us, you can love us, uh, but, but, but you go upstairs, take a shower, change your clothes, pray, do whatever you got to do, but don't come down here telling us that we got to do more work when we've had our day doing whatever we're supposed to be doing. You just stick to whatever you're supposed to do. All right, so I had this idea of working hard. In me that I'm supposed to put forth a lot of effort, and really, the, I mean, the Bible. I'm not. It's not off for me to say that the Bible commends that we should be people who work. In fact, the, I, I get that work ethic from the Bible. The Bible does say in 2 Thessalonians 3:10 that if you don't work, you don't eat. But there is a theology of work in the Scripture, a theology of work that starts with Adam in the Garden of Eden, God giving him the edict that he was supposed to. Um, tend the garden and have dominion and control over everything. And that work ethic goes all the way through Jesus and the perfect work that he does for us on the cross, dying in our place for our sin. Look at what Scripture says about work. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. So what Solomon is saying there in Ecclesiastes 9.10 is that he says, work with your might. That means work hard. And he also says, work now because you won't have that except for in this life. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And this, of course, centers the focus of our work as whatever you're doing, you're not working for anybody except for the Lord. And he uses the word, uh, Paul uses the word, Heartily, which is the word complete, like do it completely. Again, work hard. And of course, Jesus says in John 15, 17, uh, John 5, 17, my father is always working and so am I. Have you ever paused to think, well, how in the world is God working? Not just God, but it's like that the, all of the Trinity is working. How, how does God work for us? He works redemptively. He he brings you to faith, reconciling you to himself. He works creatively. Our God has fashioned this physical and human world that we live in, making it habitable for us. He works providentially, sustaining you and me in the creation that we get to enjoy. He works in justice. He works in compassion, healing, comforting, guiding, shepherding. He works in revelation, making it so that we Uh, you know, we are enlightened with truth that he gives us? How does Jesus work? The Bible says in Hebrews that he upholds the words of his power, right? He upholds the the universe by the words of his power. And so our God is working. Work is uh, a command from Scripture. We should work hard. But hear what the preacher also is saying in Ecclesiastes. He's saying all work is not necessarily productive work. In fact, sometimes we can uh, work hard, but lack productivity. We can work hard and lack both effectiveness and efficiency. And so Ecclesiastes says there's folly in that. And so obviously what I'm saying is we can work hard, but there's another side to this coin. Coin, And the other side of the coin says, don't work harder, work smarter, right? Y'all ever heard that? Don't work hard, work smart. And I think what that simply means is you got to have a plan you got to have a plan for what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. There is um, a story in Scripture that most of you know about a man who was a, um, a guy that got called into ministry to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. His name was Moses, right? We just finished a whole fall looking at the, the story of Moses and how he delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt. In Exodus 18, is it really just... Right after God has delivered them from slavery, they're uh, at Mount Sinai, or at least approaching it on their way to the Promised Land. And there's this one scene where Moses is, uh, you know, by God's doing, is the chief adjudicator. He's the the guy that judges all the um, all the the, the 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 large issues of the nation of Israel. So imagine one or two million people uh, bringing the cases that they can't solve themselves to one guy, Moses. It's like um, it's like you going to the DMV office here in Virginia, which is just like not the funnest thing to do, and there only being one booth open, and everybody that's in our, you know, our local area is waiting to get to that one booth to get whatever transaction you have to get with, uh, to DMV. So Moses' dad comes, and he joins up, bringing Moses' wife and his sons, and he sees this phenomenon all these people coming to Moses so that Moses can in turn be the judge over whatever their issues might be. And Jethro says to Moses, what in the world are you doing? This looks crazy. And, you know, I'm, I, I would imagine just this is what's going on. Moses says, well, this is how I roll. This is, this is what we do in Israel. If, if there's a case in, in, in Israel that they can't, that people can't judge between themselves, they come to me, and I'm just sitting here in this chair, I'm gonna to listen to them and I'm gonna tell, tell them from God's perspective what they should do. And Moses with his, you know, lip on the ground is like, I mean, uh, Jethro says, well, that's stupid. You're gonna wear yourself out and you're gonna wear your people out because you're, you're truncating the process. And so what does Jethro encourage Moses to do? He encourages him to find some leaders, to commission them to be judges over all of Israel and then, uh, and then just basically divide the labor up. Okay, so that was one strategy of, of how Moses was to not work harder, but work smarter. And uh, that can really apply to, to anything that you're doing in life. When we work smarter, not harder, what we're doing is we're essentially making sure that we take the time to understand what our environment was. For Moses, it was, all right, so there were decisions that people needed help to be made, and... Uh, he could come up with a method to do that, except his method was was kind of singular. Secondly, we would know the obstacles that could potentially trip us up. Jethro came and made Moses aware of those. To come up with objectives, what was the objective Jethro gave Moses? You need some help. Let's find some other leaders who have the capacity to help you out and commission them to do the work. Make sure we analyze and then retool them to ensure our smart work leads to greater effectiveness and efficiency. In other words, you need a plan. Jethro helped Moses to come up with a plan. And so if I were to ask you, which is is right, work harder or don't work hard, work smart, which one is right? Which one should we be doing? Obviously, it's a trick question, right? I mean, both of these in God's economy are the things that we should be doing. We should be working hard, but we should also be not working harder, but working smarter. But here's a better question to ask. If you're dull, how do you sharpen yourself? How do you sharpen yourself? I've got three things to offer you. Wherever you are in life, be it relationships, professional, or ministry, sharpening your ax means that you need to see the big picture. Sometimes you have to make sure you step back and that you're not just in the middle of what's always happening. Um, Ron Lebowitz, I, I think I'm saying his name right, Lebowitz, he's the one that wrote the, the, uh, the well-known business book, uh, leadership on the Line, Harvard professor. And in this book, he calls this the, the balcony approach. He says if you are the leader of anything, even over your own home, then one of the ways that you, one of the things that you should do often is get out of the muck and mire of what you're doing, even in, in the, um, the living out of your own life, step back a little bit and uh, just analyze what's going on, you know, from, from a balcony perspective. Look and see the things that you're doing, uh, and don't just be in the game, but don't just live life. Step back and see what's going on. And, and then once you've done that, that's the place where you invest yourself uh, to sharpen your own acts. Here's another thing that uh, I think is good advice. This is from the ancient philosopher Socrates. Socrates says, employ your time in imp- improving yourself by other men's writings so that you'll gain easily what others have labored hard for. What Socrates is basically saying to us is don't learn, I mean, don't don't make the error of not learning from others' successes, uh, and learning from others' mistakes. He's saying the foolish man doesn't learn from his own mistakes, but the very wise man learns from not only his own mistakes but the mistakes of others. That's good advice. Uh, any of y'all heard of Stephen Covey? I'm dating myself here, but like mid to late 80s. Stephen Covey was all the craze in the business world. He wrote a, a series of books, um, uh, most notably a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders, national bestseller in 1989 when many of you were just being born. And he, he's the one that popularized this idea from Ecclesiastes of sharpening your axe. Actually, Stephen Covey is a, a Mormon, um, so he's not necessarily writing from a spiritual sense, but he does have a, a spiritual element to this. And what he suggests when, he's talk, when he talks about sharpening your axe is, he says there really are four dimensions uh, for which we should um, personally uh, work towards self-care and, and self-maintenance. And uh, those areas uh, are some of the, the areas that many of us make New Year's resolutions. The first is physical. He says, we should care for our bodies. Sharpening your acts by caring for your body, eating right, getting rest, getting relaxation, exercising on a regular basis. Sharpening your acts in the physical dimension is is to exercise your body on a regular basis in a way that you'll preserve and enhance your capacity to work and adapt and enjoy. So what he's talking about is endurance. So if I'm dull and I need to sharpen some of the areas of my life, one of those uh, areas Stephen Covey is suggesting is the physical area. I think, I think that, it's not, that most people, it's not that you don't want to do something physical to help you endure. I think it's we're so busy, we feel like we don't have time to, to fit it in. right? He says, um, if you're dull, you need to prioritize exercise not just because you're too busy and make the excuse you can't do it. So physical, another dimension would be mental. This is expanding your mind to the habit of reading good literature, writing. He says it includes the discipline of formal education, continuing study programs. And, of course, the adage here is um, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. I'm, uh, I shouldn't be amazed, but I am amazed how my kids, who are, of course, in college, high school, and middle school, uh, come home, and the stuff that they're doing seems so complex. Right? It's like, man, I don't remember doing anything like that. And it's not that I did not do it. It's just that my, my brain has no room for that stuff anymore, right? But, but more importantly, if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, and so even as we get older, uh, one of the things that we have to do to sharpen our acts in this mental category is to continue to, the habit of reading and uh, exercising our mind. A third dimension would be social and emotional. And Covey says these have to do with all of your relationships in every area of your life, family, co-workers, neighbors, and friends. You know, uh, a lot of us have a tendency, especially the men in the room, we have a tendency to be loners. All right, we, can, we got a, a buddy here and a buddy there, but there's really no one in our life that really um, knows us, that knows you well, and that can speak into your life. And even if we're around people, we can be distant or we can be withholding, present but not really there. And so this social emotional dimension would challenge us to sharpen our acts by by being vulnerable to have relationships in your life for which you go just a little bit deeper than the surface level. And the last area that Covey mentions would be the spiritual. So physical, mental, social, emotional, and spiritual. Of course, this speaks to your value system. Of course, Stephen Covey's a Mormon. He's not necessarily trying to uh, present a Judeo-Christian ethic. But what he's talking about here is he's asking where does your value come from as you're chopping your way through life, you know, doing all those things that you do. um, Are you aiming for success by swinging and attempting to earn your success in your own strength? Of course, in the Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, wisdom says you realize your need for Jesus, and so uh, we can become dull. How do we? How do we sharpen ourselves? We have uh, several options to do that. But here's what Solomon recommends that we do. And it's pretty simple. He says wisdom is key. Look at verse 10 one more time. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. So here's what I think Solomon's getting at. We can do all kind of things in life to better ourselves. We can give ourselves over to best practices and business techniques that actually lend to success. We can do things that sharpen us. We can follow the advice of of expert philosophers like Socrates, business gurus like Stephen Covey. Uh, Wisdom, however, says, what does it profit any of us to gain the world and yet lose our soul? In other words, what does it profit us to Uh, to, to be successful and yet lose our soul. And I think what Solomon is saying to us is wisdom always points us to Jesus. Wisdom counters all the foolish ways that we choose not to believe the gospel, that we choose to save ourselves by our works rather than the grace of God. Wisdom trumps our efforts to create our own righteousness through performance rather than resting in the perfect performance of Jesus on our behalf. Wisdom finds its success rooted in Jesus. And so, guess what? I'm almost done. You're like, what? Jeff, this is is short. It's New Year's. (laughs) So, here's the thing. Here's my encouragement to all of us. We're getting ready to launch into 2019, and I don't know if you make resolutions or not. I mean, that's not a bad thing. There's a scriptural precedence to making New Year's resolutions. Uh, If you look at Daniel, Daniel resolved that he wasn't going to, to eat the food from the king's table, and he was going to only eat a vegetarian, vegan kind of a diet, and the, God, I mean, the Lord sustained him in that. Uh, you can look at uh, Joseph and Mary as, uh, as you know, the, the whole pregnancy thing leading to the Christ child being born at Christmas that we celebrate. Joseph resolved in his heart that he wasn't going to divorce his wife, as the angel told him. And of course, Paul says much about being resolved in our worship of God throughout his writings. And so being uh, a person that makes resolutions isn't a bad thing. And so whether you do that or set goals or be uh, just more intentional about how you live your life, I think the expectation from from Solomon is some of us need to sharpen our ax, our axes. Perhaps you're bored with life. Perhaps you're too busy. Perhaps you're distracted. Maybe you have some priorities that you need to get in order, or maybe you're just escaping from the life that you're living or you want to escape. And so Solomon would say to us, all of these might be symptoms of the sin that you're giving yourself over to. And of course, the Bible commends us that when this kind of stuff is overtaking us, that all change starts with repentance and faith, that we see from Scripture how we're supposed to live and that we purposely turn from our sin to the Lord in faith. So I would commend that to you. Some of you need a strategic growth plan, something that will drive you, and perhaps someone that will light a fire underneath you. I mean, it's, it's always good to have someone in your corner that's going to push you in those areas that you need to be pushed, and perhaps that you won't push yourself. Practically, some of you need to pursue a mentor for the stage of life that you are in. And uh, and here's the thing. You get what you pay for. So. Um, every mentor isn't good for everything and you can't find one person that's going to be good for you in in every area of your life some of you need uh, a mentor in uh to to help you with some personal things perhaps some spiritual things some of you need a mentor for your professional life and some of you need a mentor for your physical life like like i need someone to jump start me so that i'm sharpening myself physically so that my life endures beyond whatever i the, the path i'm on right now and and, and you might need to set aside some money to pay for that if it's that important to you lastly I would tell you some of you need to spend time in the word and have Jesus speak to you as a way to sharpen yourself we're going to talk that talk about more about this in the coming weeks in fact next week we're going to introduce um, a plan called community Bible reading um, as a way of sharpening our acts as a, as a whole congregation something I'm excited about I've been testing it out for about four months with a few other people and I uh, I'm going to invite you all next week uh, to do that with me. Two weeks from now, we're going to talk about sharpening our axe through uh, getting in community. And that's really the bread and butter of our church. Being in community, not, not doing life alone, that, that we weren't meant to live life alone. And, and so Nick will come and talk about that. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about prayer, um, what we should be uh, praying together as a church. Uh, I call them uh, Jesus-only prayers. That as a church, putting our focus on um, not just our own self, but, but praying the, the kind of prayers for which, if Jesus doesn't come alongside us to help us do it, as a church, not just individuals, then, then it's not going to happen. More about that later. But here's the thing for today. When your act is dull, Solomon says, we all need wisdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your day. De- for your word. Thank you for the exhortation to wisdom. We say we need it. Uh, God, tune our hearts to this. And in the moments between uh, this year ending and the next year beginning, I pray that you give all of us just uh, uh, an opportunity to, to do some reflective thinking about where our lives are and where we are in terms of uh, the sharpness or the dullness of our lives. This is a simple message. And I guess intuitively, we know those areas in our life that have become a little bit dull. Some of those areas are relational. For some of the, the married couples here, it's, it's in our marriages. For some who uh, work hard at work, it's it's just becoming bored and with the commonplace nature of, of what we do, just to put food on the table. For some of us, it's becoming dull in the area of physical, our physical exertion, physical fitness, even. And we need to sharpen ourselves. And so, God, I pray that uh, as you allow us to be uh, introspective at the end of this year, that you would give us the, the added measure of giving us courage to do something about it, not just thinking about it, not just writing it down, but uh, uh, being intentional, setting some goals, perhaps even being resolved to do these things. More importantly, God, make us resolved that we would be uh, people of the word, people who worship, people that that lend ourselves uh, to, to giving you glory in this year and forever. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.